Hello and welcome to episode 42 of Magic and the Other Guy. Kevin and I are sitting on the banks of Lake Wiley, or on my porch, which is situated on the banks of Lake Wiley in Charlotte, North Carolina. Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm warm. We've got folks playing on the other side of the lake. I can see there's a little private beach on the opposite side of the cove from where we're sitting, and they're, they're loving the water. I never know what we're going to be talking about, Kevin, but you hopefully do. Yes, I do. What is our subject today? This one is actually another suggestion from a listener suggested we talk about DIY. Oh, okay. DIY. And shall we let the listener in who doesn't know what that stands for? I think these days of all the home improvement shows, everybody knows what DIY is, yeah. but expand it upon them. Do it yourself. Exactly. Yes, and uh, well, I do quite a lot of DIY. Exactly, so yeah. I knew we'd have plenty to talk about. It, it's not a, usually a week goes by that I don't come back over here and there's a brand new piece of furniture built from something you've created in the garage. <laughs> That's because I've got too much time on my hands, I think. Yeah. How about you? Do you do an awful lot of DIY? I'm thinking you don't, but no, I might be wrong. Not right. No. no. I probably did more as a, as a younger person. Yeah. You know, and we kind of can go, go back to that. It's probably the early days when it was just, you know, you'd see a, a thing of wood and a couple of, like, wheelbarrow wheels or something like that, and you're going to yeah. make something out of it, you know? Right. Hey, we can make that into a cart, all of the little rascals. Sure. And then we'll go barreling down the, down the hill. But uh, <laughs> That's not the DIY that we're talking about today though is it it's really house repairs no it can be anything because yeah. that's probably where where i fall into more of the crowd just trying to create something yeah but uh making things happen or, or whatever well i've always been a practical chap i always have my dad was and my brother was and uh, so it kind of just rubbed off on me but i suppose because of my early years in my career working as a mechanic which is a very practical hands-on skill that that leads into everything else. I think if you're, if you're gifted is the wrong word, but if you're skilled in a particular field, whether it's plumbing or electronics or mechanical work or machining or carpentry, I, I believe if you're, if you're capable of doing one of those skill sets, you, you naturally are more at ease working in anything else like that. It I helps think. the transition. It helps it the transition. It greases the, trans uh, yeah. the transition to another. And certainly if you're, I mean, in my case, being a mechanic leads into so many other things. You're dealing with hydraulics, so plumbing becomes a natural add-on to that skill set. You're dealing with vehicle electronics, and so electronics is another one. So plumbing, electronics, carpentry, probably not so much these days, although working on antique vehicles I suppose as a certain amount of carpentry but um, my dad and my brother were both very good at, at using their hands for carpentry so I learned that as well but um, I enjoy working with wood I actually enjoy the challenge of working with wood more than the challenge of working with different metals which uh, again from my background might strike some folks as a bit odd but I, I've always had a love affair with wood. I think it's a beautiful material, natural well, material. I've always heard that people this they, it has such a warmth to it. Mm, you know, absolutely. and I guess that's that, that na it's a natural product from nature, obviously, yes. <laughs> that uh, has remember, its own own essence to it. it. It does, and I remember as an apprentice mechanic working in a little Mazda dealership in Lafayette when I first started out as a mechanic, um, the boss of the garage asked me to make some little wooden doors to 
fill in what was offensively a workbench where we used to work the transmissions. He wanted to create some little cupboard areas beneath the bench. And I said, yeah, I can, I can do that. I think I'm, I'll have a go anyway. I'm very pleased to say he was suitably impressed with the work that I did. He said, I, that's very good, Matchett. which used to call me Matchett. That's very good, Matchett. I didn't think you'd have the ability to do that. And I said, well, I've always had a kind of a natural affinity with wood. Uh, and then he said just the opposite. He said, I've always had a natural affinity working with metal. And he said, the reason I say that is if you make a mistake in metal, you can always weld a bit back on. But you can't weld a bit of wood back on if no. you take too much off. But that's always, even to this day, curious enough, again, I never know what we're going to be talking about, but that memory was stored there from 40-something years ago. Yeah, him saying, if I make a mistake in metal, I can always weld a bit more back on. Well, my, my, uh, actually, kind of telling about the stories about DIYs. My dad, my dad, you remember, he, we moved down to Leesburg, you know, he retired, and we moved down there just before I was turning 12. And I remember hearing mom in later, later days saying the story of when we first moved down there, she's like going, what am I gonna do with him? You know, he's <laughs> retired and right. what on earth? It, well, he ended up kind of buddying up with a couple of gentlemen down there, kind of in our neighborhood, and they got together and they started kind of doing handyman projects. And it kind of gave them something to do. Yeah. And they made a little money. Now they were retired, really didn't you know need that extra income, but they were happy to have it. You know, it just gave them something to go out, and they didn't know what they were going to end up doing on a daily basis sometimes because they'd gotten connected with a realtor. Well, this realtor was always representing a property that maybe somebody left in, you know, not a good position or right. whatever like that, and it needed to be you know fixed up for sale. And they were constantly doing. You know, carpentry work, uh, reattaching re, uh, a door that had been yeah. knocked off, putting the door frame back, uh, roofing. They did roofing. They did painting, plenty of painting, uh, just whatever. And he just found himself doing all these little projects. Now, again, he was a mechanical and, and then later on became a nuclear engineer in his profession. So right. he had some skill sets. Sure. These weren't, these were, that was mostly, you know, drafting something out on a, on a, on a board and, and sketching it and how it might be created or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Well, here he was using more of the mind and the, the hand and the hammer at one time. But uh, that kept him busy and, and uh, he, he got pretty skilled and enjoyed him. One of my biggest DIY projects was the house that I restored, the first farmhouse that I restored in France. I restored a couple of houses. The second one was much smaller. Uh, but the first project I got involved in was this wonderful old farmhouse I've, I've described and written about. And that house hadn't been lived in for something like 30, 35, 40 years. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it needed pretty much everything. It didn't have running water inside, didn't have electricity, didn't have any drainage, didn't have anything. It was an old abandoned farmhouse. And I remember looking at the plumbing and thinking, uh, I'd never plumbed a house. So I thought, yeah, I can do this. I think yeah, I'm pretty skilled with my hands, should be able to do this. And I've always had this idea that, again, going back on how we started this conversation, providing that you have guidelines and common sense, you should be able to figure something out. So I would look at how it was done before, look at how the plumbing or the wiring had been done and abandoned. So I could look at the old plumbing pipes that weren't attached to anything any longer and think, OK, yeah, I see how you've done that. I can get new pipe and recreate that. And so I did. And th there is a great personal sense of achievement when I had to get water. If you looked at the front elevation of this house, gentle listener, in your mind's eye, the, there was a water standpipe connected inside the cellar on the right-hand lower floor. And uh, I started to build the kitchen on the absolute opposite side of the house, on the left-hand side of the house. So I had to figure out how to get 
water pipes connected from the cellar all the way up the walls into the attic, across the attic and back down into the kitchen and then connect it to a, a tap, a faucet. But the wonderful sense of achievement to actually turn the tap and just see that water coming out is like, wow, look at this. I've created water. <laughs> it's, it's a Adore me, drink. for I have created <laughs> aqua. Uh, my girlfriend at the time when we were restoring this house, again, we had no running water. And so we had no shower. And the only way that I could take a shower after working a full day on the house was to leave the garden hose coiled up in the garden all day long that was connected to this standpipe in, uh, outside. Let it heat up? And let it heat up with the sun. and then <laughs> Which throw, they will heat up pretty yeah, darn good. And then throw, throw the hose over a bough of a tree in the garden and I would have roughly 30 seconds of warm water. Uh, to have a shower before it turned freezing cold again, yeah. So there's such a great sense of shame. Wow, look at this, we have running water. <laughs> it's great fun. Now, the downside of that is, talk about hubris and, you know, look at this, I've created running water in the house. I plumbed the house from start to finish with 40 mil copper tubing. Not that that really matters what size it is, but it was have to be 40 mil, because that's what the French use an awful lot of. And insulated it, as I'd done it as well, I'd put in... Um, foam insulation around it all and at the time I wasn't living full-time in, in France at this time I was doing some work on the house and then I was still working in Benetton so for the final few months every spare weekend I had I would hop over and do a little bit of work on the house in France and then go back uh, and uh, earn a little bit more money at Benetton and then be able to spend that renovating the house but I went away in the winter and I, I left my neighbors the telephone number and I said you know just if anything happens by all means please do give me a call well you know where this conversation is going now I got a call from my neighbors and they said we have some very terrible news for you every joint that you've put on the plumbing uh, which was soldered correctly there's not a problem with the soldering on the joints but every joint is now frozen and popped and you have icicles hanging out of every joint now oh. yeah. So I had to go, I said, well, thank you very much for telling me and please turn the water off in the basement in the cellar. And then the first opportunity I had, I got back over to France and had to re-plumb the whole thing again or renew, unsolder all the joints and uh, renew every single elbow joint that was on there. Because again, not to get bogged down in the technicalities of what would happen, but the way that these little 45 degree joints and 90 degree joints are formed, it creates a very thin, wall thickness right on the apex of the bend and the soldered joints have worked wonderfully but the thinness of the wall of the copper every single one had popped and there was a little coil of ice coming out of it it was remarkable oh. to see it. so i renewed them all and i put double the insulation on everything and that cured it yeah and, yeah uh that reminds me of you know i've told you about our lake house that we had in tennessee where i skied and and all that yeah we uh we had a i guess it was called the well house this little cinder block little house okay it was it was really just a four-cornered little square and it had a little roof with a little bit of a shingling on it and i used to you know as a kid i'd make i, I said i'm snoopy and i'd lay up on top of it but the, <laughs> just picture that yeah, you just that, yeah. Lay, lay flat and you're snoopy yeah but um we'd go down in the winter every year and i know dad did every year and i, I guess most years i would go down there and we would we would open up the lift you just lift off that whole roof and set it to the side and then it was just the the pipes and stuff i guess that kind of you know control the water system and everything like that Real. and what we would do is put in dad had this uh, clamped aluminum shades that directs light okay you know like a work lamp yeah. kind of and he put in a whatever nice bulb like a hundred watt bulb or something like that yeah and then attach it to a thermostat so whenever the 
the temperature dropped to a certain degree, the thermostat yep. would then turn on the bulb, and that bulb, the heat off of it, would be enough one uh, little box it was just to keep enough. the pipes from yeah. freezing. That's a, that's so it's pretty simplistic, but it seemed to have worked every year. It's a, it's a great idea. And we just change the bulb out every yeah. year. Funny you, you should say that, that. My neighbors just over the road here have uh, a well pump, and they have to, dis to disguise the well pump. They have one of those rather bizarre-looking false oh, rocks, yes. right? Uh, and in the winter, when exactly that happens, you can see the bulb illuminating within the box. Yeah, oh, really? I, I can tell when it's on. I know. Call it I know. Hey, your rock's glowing again. Yeah, I know just what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a very good idea. Yeah, yeah. So talking about working with wood, I guess this is one thing I was kind of kind of proud of. I, you know, of course, we know I did a lot of skateboarding and such. Well, at one point, I decided I was going to build my own board. Okay. And this was well in high school. I was already driving by this time. And it's one thing, you can't just take a, a plank of wood because it's not going to have the shape. But there was a company, I think it was called uh, Z-Flex, and they would sell what they called Z-Blanks. And the, the, it was already just the first stage of a skateboard where they'd already made the concave shape and yeah. then the kicktail at the end. Yeah. So all that had been pressed into it, but it was a square. You know, the edges were kind of... You know, not quite plied yet, it. and yeah. the middle was. Everything was glued and 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 solid. Yeah. And then, so you'd buy this blank, and then you could cut out any shape you wanted. Cool. So what I had to do was, I took a piece of probably I think it was uh, poster board. I figured if I make exactly half, flip it over, yeah. trace the same shape, then attach them together with tape and lay it down. I've got two equal sides. And then you laid it across the uh, you know concave of the of the board of the board yeah. in, the, in what you. Uh, perceived to be pretty much the center. You probably draw a, a line down the middle, okay. a plumb line with pencil. Yeah. And then set it on there, trace around it, then get your jigsaw out and jigsaw out the shape. Yeah. Sand down the uh, the edges. And really, you you could make any kind of shape. You could give it a wider nose. You could give it a thinner nose. You could give a little. I gave a little notch toward the tail. And then you pretty much. I think the best way to to get make sure your your holes have to be right for the trucks to attach because okay. if they're off a little bit, they're not gonna. Roll right. So you sure. probably just get a board that exists, lay that down, yeah. trace the... Uh, yeah, use it as a template. Yeah, uh, for your for your wheel hole. Because yeah. each, each truck is attached by four uh, nuts and bolts. And then sand it down, and then uh, sand the whole thing, and paint it. Very good. And I did that, and I put my own graphics on the bottom, and then I did two. I ended up doing two of them. I did a regular skateboard, and then I did a thinner one, which was called a freestyle board for okay. a different type of skating. And I still have both. I still have both of them. And did you find when you were doing board number two that you'd learned so much from board number one that board number two was a lot easier? Somewhat. I think I did yeah. the free. Trying to think if I did the freestyle one first, or it's hard to remember now. I think I did the freestyle one second, and being they're so simple, they're they're really equal on both sides. Okay. So you want them to be. So it's almost a in a way a long rectangle yeah. with uh, curved edges at the at the back. So. I did DIY my own boards at one point. That's good. If I could only turn into a major company that, you know, made millions, who knows? I enjoy it. I enjoy it very much. And it doesn't matter to me what I'm doing, whether it's plumbing or wiring or these days, more than likely, as you alluded to when we started this episode, recording this episode, making tables and cupboards and that sort of thing. But I, I enjoy playing with what I particularly enjoy, um, playing with old wood but I like reclaimed wood because there's a lot more story to tell oh yeah yeah I like that very well, much well you made something out of some driftwood yes I, I can't I cannot resist gentle listener if I see a plank of wood floating in the lake I will take the boat out 
and try and, and try and get it and try and yeah, try and catch it and bring it back. You've yeah. rescued it. <laughs> and it usually happens after we've had heavy storm weather. Uh, and Lake Wiley, for those that are unfamiliar with the, uh, the way the lake system works in Charlotte, Lake Wiley is the end of the line of three lakes. There's Lake Norman up in the north and then Mountain Island Lake, which is kind of in the middle of Charlotte, which is where I believe that the drinking water of Charlotte is pumped from uh, Mountain Island Lake. And then all of that water throws, flows through a dam system down here into Lake Wiley and from here down into the Catawba River Basin. So inevitably, Lake Wiley ends up with all the driftwood that the big storms, particularly it's like old boat ramps and things that are finally let go and you get pieces of wood floating down. But if I say a particularly interesting piece of wood in the lake, yeah, I can't resist going and trying capturing it, yeah. And then I will turn that into something, whatever it is. Well, let's, since I haven't, I've never done it, let's say you find a piece out, out in, the, uh, in the lake, you drag it back and yeah. all that. Um, what do you have to do to dry it out? To just leave it. Just leave it. How many days does it usually take for uh, it to actually work? Not actually, not that long. If you leave it for, a, I would like to leave it for a week. You don't really want to be using wood that is wet. No, no, no. Or damp. And the, the, the reason for that is well, twofold. One, it's very difficult to saw wet wood either with a circular saw or with a hand saw because the dampness of the sawdust will clog the blades. That's an obvious thing if you're used to using saws. But also, if you're making, if you start to produce something from damp wood, the dimensions will change. So if you if you try and join two pieces of wood together that are damp, when it dries, it will shrink, and then you have a split line in between the two. Even if you glue it, you're likely to find that the glue line will split. So yeah, that makes you, sense. Yeah, you want to use you want to use dry wood as much as possible. So two, and two, if you found something that was wet, or, I guess it depends on the type of wood. If it was treated or something like that, it could right. be warped or warping. Yes. As it's drying, too, you have right? to, Yeah, and you just have to use your, more of an imagination with it than anything. You know that if you've got a piece of, a plank of wood uh, that is probably a hundred years old, I mean, some of this old, uh, whether it's oak or whether, particularly if it's hardwood, uh, lasts a long, long while. And it's probably been, used to find this a lot in France all the while, actually. A lot of the wood in the old houses had been used three or four times before. The big main beams in my farmhouse in France were clearly taken from wooden ships. You could see where they'd been, they'd been main support beams in ships, which I think at the time was quite common. Yeah. That when ships were broken up and decommissioned, you wouldn't burn the wood, you would take as much off as you could. And uh, actually this was the same in England in a cottage I had in Chipping Norton, it was exactly the same. You could see the roof timbers that that were very, I mean, I'm talking two, three, maybe even 400 years old. You could see where they'd been cut out to, to notched out to hold different beams in the past. Mm -hmm. But that, when you think that the, some of those houses have been standing for 300 years, 200, 200 years, you think that the life of that wood must be well beyond 200 years old. It must have been in a ship 300 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, obviously we don't get to that sort of degree on Lake Wiley, but probably some of these old boat houses have been around for the best part of 100 years. And you can see that as soon as you look at the wood and you, you cast your eye over it, you begin to see the potential shapes that you could make from it. But you never, the problem is if you want to machine that piece of wood into a straight plank, you will lose so much of its story because you're taking so much of the surface away. You get it down to the inner core of the wood, but you're taking all that wonderful textured detail away from it. So you want to keep as much as that as you can. Yeah. Just make 
something out of it, whether it's a cutting board or anything, it doesn't doesn't matter. It's the fun of it's the fun of making something from a piece of scrap. Well, it certainly makes like. sense. Obviously, it's never more front of mind than it is right now about reclaiming and reusing. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, you know. yeah reclamation of anything for for house restoration. I I, I like that very. And what much. great story! I mean, let's let's say you do have a cottage and you can tell that the beams came from an old ship or something. Say you're into yeah. nautical things. Well, how how much of a charming. <laughs> part of your your living existence is that and i tell you what kevin those i keep going back to that house in france because it was a tremendous challenge for me it was a very enjoyable challenge and the house when it was finished i was very pleased with it but those big solid beams up in the attic of this farmhouse looked like they were absolutely destroyed with woodwork and rot i mean they looked they're absolutely perforated when when i first bought the house and I thought, wow, yeah, I don't really, gosh, just the, just, the, just the cost of replacing these beams would be enormous. I thought, I'll have a go at cleaning them up. And I had a, a basically type of a hatchet blade. And I started to chop away at what I considered to be the rotten wood. And honestly, it was just over a quarter of an inch of effectively rotten wood. But as soon as you got that away, and it came away very easily, like bark in a way, but it wasn't bark, the bark had been removed centuries ago the wood underneath was iron hard gotcha. you could not drill into it you could but you would you would blunt the drill in the same way that you would blunt the drill if you're drilling into steel wow it was unbelievably yeah that's not solid beam. that beam's not going anywhere not going anywhere beautiful beautiful old building and i would delight in uh, here's one little one little story that i don't think we've said on air before i know i've chatted about it before but not long after I moved to France, my neighbour, dear old Mr. Fauconet, Monsieur Fauconet, he said to me one day, I was up on the roof trying to repair, just trying to keep the water out of the roof, you know, and it had pantiles on the roof. Those old clay pantiles that you see everywhere in France and Italy and Spain. And he said to me, do you want to see a little piece of living history? And I said, yes, of course. He said, what have you got? He said, bring one of those tiles down to me. Now these tiles, many of them were cracked. And I brought one of the tiles down to him. And he said, now turn it over. So you could see the underside of it, the, the concave side of it. And you could see on the inside, it looked like it had been, you could see the, the lines, the markings of an old sacking material. And he said that sacking material would have been placed over the uh, craftsman's knee when he was forming the tile over his leg. He said the shape of that tile is the shape of the tiler's leg when he was making it really? before it was baked. I thought, wow, look at that, you know. That is just, amazing. It's just an old tile on a roof. And if my neighbor hadn't pointed out to me, it's amazing how you'll miss these incredible details of, here, here was a, the witness marks of the guy that had made that tile 100, 150 years ago. Right there, it's fun. I love all that. That it's is really, amazing, it's I love fabulous. that. It's fabulous, all those little details. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And today, you know, things are just, those are, be pulled out a thousand times a minute by yeah. some machine and bang, 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 bang. Yeah. Yes, and it was quite common in, in France, uh, and probably still is today, though many, many of those houses have now been restored. But the roof tilers, when they were, when they were building a new roof or renewing a roof on an old farmhouse, they would ask the owner if they wanted all new tiles on the house, which was, the answer to that was usually no, no, we want to try and keep as many as we can for the authenticity of it, for the look of it, because new tiles look new and look awful in comparison to old tiles. There it is, that's the, that's the art of building. 
And so many of the roofers would put the under, the, the brand new tiles would go on first and then as many old tiles as possible would be reclaimed and put back over the top of them as the finishing tiles. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the building from the road or from the lane, I'm going to say the street, there's not really that many streets in the middle of these little villages, they're just lanes. Uh, it would look like it's never been touched before, but you knew that the underside of it was all water yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Great I mean, you can't recreate old. I mean, you can't create old you can make a facsimile of old but that's about as yeah, close as you're ever going to get exactly that it's yeah. only original ones yeah i loved i loved all of that building in france to me or restoration work in france was it was a wonderful therapeutic undertaking things would take seemingly forever but it didn't matter and i would probably spend all day repairing and renewing the crumbled pointing in between the stonework and I would probably end up after a day having covered maybe two square meters of, of, of stonework, which would make it completely impractical for any building concern to make any profit because it was taking too long. But I didn't mind, you know, I could stand back after a day's work and think, look at that, yeah, I'm kind of pleased with what I'm managing. Oh, absolutely. That. Yeah. yeah, there's certain value in that for sure. Uh, yeah. Building is different in the United States to a large degree. Um, it's not better or worse, it's just different. Like, but a lot of those building materials that we use in, the, in America, um, very few buildings that I see now seem to be made of stone. Cost is too, too prohibitive. Um, but to see those old buildings in Europe and bring those old buildings back to life, there's something very gratifying about that. Yeah. I like that, yeah. Yeah, and they will stand, and, and it's not like a heavy wind's gonna take them anywhere. So. They are absolutely built to last a thousand years. The walls are a yard thick. They're over three foot thick. But back when they were built, there was no real cement or concrete. And so the building material to put between the stones was simply clay. So, and my house was a classic example of this. Then when the builders were building this, and presumably most of the building work was carried out by farm workers in the winter when there was little work to do in the fields you know there would be a pit in between the four walls where the red clay was dug out from the ground and used to put between the stones effectively like mortar so that would be the, when the house was built the cellar was fundamentally the hole that was dug out of the ground to release the clay to be used as the filler for the stonework oh double yeah. duty double double duty but when you you know some of these stones they're as big as hay bales, you know. I mean, they must have thousands of pounds of weight. Yeah. They must have rigged up some sort of pulley system to get them up there. Yeah, you, know? you didn't have this cat diesel uh, <laughs> grabber that would just pick <laughs> it up and move it from. You know. Absolutely not. And I have such respect when I look around at those buildings, just marveling at how they were built, just the effort involved in building them. And what a pleasure it was to try and bring some of that back because inevitably things start to fail after decades of not being looked after but i would always try again guidelines and common sense look how it was originally built and just try and reproduce it don't do anything crazy just try and reproduce what they've done that's i, I like all of that yeah yeah well it's like funny it kind of reminded me a little bit of the house that i grew up in dad dad didn't build it he wasn't a builder but he designed it and then I remember he say, he was always commented that him and his friend, they actually built houses across the street from each other and that they used the same builder. And he always commented on how what quality work he did. And I actually got to go in that house about three or four years ago. Okay. And the first time I'd seen it since the early 80s. But to see those structural 
in the basement, you know, yeah. the, the structural beams. Yeah. And, the, you know, the wood had gotten more and more browned over the years. Sure. And just, you could just tell by looking at them how solid yeah. they were. And I remember the new owners commenting on how well they thought, every, so everywhere we've looked or everywhere we've discovered, we just see quality built into this house. Yeah. And I was like, that's an amazing thing. It's great that it's going to be there, a lasting legacy, you know. It always strikes me, uh, I, again, I don't want to be critical of house builders. I'm not saying this for that reason, but it always strikes me as remarkable how quickly contemporary buildings are put together. I mean, these buildings over in Europe and the house you were describing there would take weeks and weeks and weeks, months, stroke, years to finish. Yeah. And yet now, all around Charlotte and I'm sure all around the world, you know, houses just seem to boink. They're, they're, you know, six months ago they weren't there. And then there's a housing estate built. There's a whole new neighborhood which yeah. simply didn't exist. Well, yeah. and if somebody, if the same team just built 15 of them, they're just like, well, you know, number 16, yeah. A has to happen, then B has to happen, then C has yeah. to happen, and they just know it. And, you know, back in the day, you know, every house was essentially different. You know, somebody's going to design it the way they want it, and it's going to be a yeah. totally different plan, blueprint, whatever you want to look at for, for creating it the way they wanted to, and they weren't cookie-cuttered. No, just different. But, uh, yeah, I've always had, a, uh, I've always had a, a, a passion for DIY, going back full circle to where we started our conversation, but particularly with trying to restore things to how they used to be, how they were originally built. Whether that is with a car, with an old Ferrari, when I was in Ferrari restoration, um, I was always told, and this is something that's always stuck with me, and it stuck with me again over in France, restoring the house there, is you have to be really careful when you're restoring something not to over-restore. Restoring means bringing it back to as it was not making a facsimile copy like you mentioned earlier exactly. on a facsimile copy of what you believe it used to look like that's not the same thing there were mistakes at the factory that were on every model of that and those mistakes and it should, should be, the, be the way they are it should be, be exactly the same and if something wasn't soldered if a connection wasn't soldered in a junction box on electronics don't solder it you can solder it and it'll make a better connection there's no question about that Science will tell you that a soldered joint is better than an unsoldered joint, I believe, but if it wasn't like that originally, and you're restoring it, then don't solder it. And on that note, I think it's time, <laughs> it's time to go, isn't it? Well, yes, that was very, very good, and we can thank, we can thank listener JJ for that uh, topic. Well, thank you, JJ. Yeah, um, always love the conversations that we have, and JJ, thanks for that one. I'm always, I've said this before, but I'm always pleasantly surprised how the subjects that we talk about here on Matchett and the other guy bring back memories that you seemingly have forgotten for decades then they come back to the full you know that's true yeah it's great fun join us again on another episode of Matchett and the other guy from me Steve it's goodbye from me Kevin it's goodbye as well toodle pip bye you can get rid of that last bye if you want to